Good morning, church. It's so great to see all of you here. Um, I want to especially welcome you if you're visiting today. If you are visiting, this is, uh, you've come at the last Sunday out of 11 in a series that we've been in this fall on the book of Ruth. And every week, we've been trying to basically answer the same question week by week. And, and this is it. In a society, in a world like ours, that is marked by chaos, division, and suspicion, and rage, what would it mean instead for us to be marked by love? And not just any love, sort of wishy-washy love, love that is defined as hesed, that great Hebrew word that is the dominant theme of the book of Ruth, which, which means love without limits. Hesed is a promise-making, promise-keeping, never-stopping, always-in-forever love, love that goes beyond what is expected or asked for or required. Hesed love, love without limits. And every week we've been looking at a different quality of that love. Actually, ending today, we will have looked at 10 different attributes of the hesed, love of God. We've looked at how love suffers and it commits. Love works and protects. Love provides and risks. Love redeems and gives. Love rejoices. And today we finish with love triumphs. Love triumphs. And, you know, I have loved this series. And I know a lot of you have too. And a lot of you have told me how meaningful it's been for you to go deep into this book. And I just really hope and pray as a community that this will just not be a blip on the screen of our institutional life, but that we will continue to bear these great truths of love to heart. And that we will continue to ask the Spirit to help us to increasingly become a community that is marked by Hesed love. Would you pray that with me in the, in the weeks and months to come? So let's not forget this, friends. You know, recently I jumped into the recent DNA craze. You know, I was at, I was at my dad's house and he had a box from Ancestry.com um, on his table there. And I asked him about it and he said, oh, he had thought about doing it, but then he just got too freaked out. You know, he was too afraid to do it. So I said, well, I'll do it. And so I took it home. And I'm, I'm sure, have any of you ever done this, this Ancestry.com? Some of you are, are, have, others of you think it's crazy, I know. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I, I open it up and there's a little vial inside, a little plastic vial, and you have to fill it with your own saliva. And so I sat there for a while, <laughs> I'm so sorry to tell you this, but I sat there spitting in it, filling out this little vial, and then you send it away. And they send you all of these texts and email updates saying, we're putting together your family tree. You're soon, we'll discover your entire genealogical history and you're getting all this anticipation. And then finally, you get this email in the mail, in, in your inbox, and you click on the link. And it's actually quite remarkable. I clicked on this link and I saw this whole story of my family right on the screen in front of me. I saw you know, the story of my, my father's family that immigrated here from Germany and from England in the 17th century. I saw my mother's side of the story, this more recent immigration from Poland and Lithuania in the early 20th century. And I, it was really fascinating to see all these maps and these migration threads and, and timelines. But you know, honestly, for me, it wasn't that big of a deal because I already know those stories. I already know a whole lot about my family. My dad especially fastidiously keeps our genealogical history. But for many people, it has actually been 
groundbreaking. In fact, the, the great logo of, of uh, 23andMe, another one of these companies, is discover your story. And for many people, it truly has been that, a discovery of their own story. I was talking with my friend, many of you know him, our covenant partner here, Stephen Jenkins. And Stephen had quite a remarkable experience through this process. You know, many, many African Americans in our land do not know their ancestral stories. Because as you know, black Americans were, were taken by force from Africa. And once here, many of their families were ripped apart, thus resulting in the fact that many black Americans have lost all histories and all genealogies about their families. That's one of the great enduring harms that our nation has inflicted upon black Americans is that they have been robbed of their stories. And so when Stephen did this, and he mailed in his thing and it came back, he, he suddenly saw all of this history about himself and his family that he never knew. He saw that his family was from Togo and from Cameroon and from Mali. In fact, it connected him to a distant cousin who had spent many, many years researching their family tree and she sent to him in the mail an entire family tree of 400 names ranging back multiple generations and Stephen had knew none of this information. It, was, it blew open his world suddenly to see and whole genealogical history that he was a part of. And in his own words, he said, I had a new story that I did not know was mine. And that's what everybody wants. Everybody wants a story. Everybody wants to be a part of something bigger than their own little tiny life on this little planet. The part, to be part of a narrative that brings greater meaning and purpose to your short little life. We all want to be a part of a story. Humans are story-formed creatures. You know, the earliest artifacts that we've found of human beings are stories etched onto the insides of the walls of caves. Last weekend, I, I along with some other dads in our church who are part of this dad-daughter YMCA program, we were, we were camping and, and it was, we were sitting around the campfire one night and one of the little girls just piped up. She said, somebody please tell a story. We have this longing to, to know stories. And today we don't gather much around fires as often as we did used to in our ancestry. But instead what we do is we gather around screens and we watch stories. You know, we live in the golden age of television. The, 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 the amount of films that are being produced is amazing, but it's the same impulse. It's this longing to make sense of our lives within a story. What stories do is they help us answer some of the big questions of life that all of us are asking. You may not even know you're asking them. Why are you here? What's the meaning of your life? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with the world? How's it all gonna get fixed? Where are we all heading? How is this story gonna end? See, we all are asking those questions deep down, whether you know them or not. And what stories do is they help us answer, they help bring some answers to the big questions of life. As Alistair McIntyre said, I think I often share this quote with you because it's one of my favorites from philosopher Alistair McIntyre. He said, I can only answer the question, what am I to do if I can answer the prior question of what story do I find myself apart? You will only know who you are and what your life is about if you see it in the frame of a larger story. We all need a story to make sense of our lives. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, is that as a society, we have lost all of our stories. In our fragmentation, as we have splintered and pluralized, as all sense of God and his transcendence has been expunged 
from our public life. We have increasingly lost any commonly held answers to the big questions of life. We've lost a common story, and fewer and fewer of us have any sense of the greater meaning and direction of the world that we're living in. And so what we're left with is to fabricate little stories for our individual lives. And some of us do this by just throwing ourselves into the American dream, building our career, creating our family, focusing on our own small little lives, our security and comfort. Others of us choose some social justice cause and to pour ourselves into some bigger narrative, bigger than our own lives, to give ourselves a sense of meaning. Others of us just flop into bed at night and flip through Instagram and binge watch whatever new noteworthy drama is on TV. We, t- t- we quiet our own restlessness by watching the stories of other people. But all of us, so few of us, have any idea what the overall narrative, what this life is really about, the direction that our world is going. We need a better story if we're going to find our way again. It is no wonder that depression and suicide rates and anxiety are higher than they have ever been before, especially among those ages 18 to 26. We need a better story. So what does all this have to do with Ruth and especially with this genealogy? Well, you know, to us modern people, putting a genealogy at the end of a great story like this is a major letdown, right? I mean, you're reading along, it's this fantastic story, and then you come to this? I mean, what's wrong with you, dude? You want to say, like, did you just run out of creativity? Did you not know what to say? Did you run out of time? All you had to do was write uh, happily ever after or the end or something. I mean, why end a story like this? It seems highly disappointing to us modern people. But to ancients, this was the very best possible way you could end a story like this. Imagine yourself reading this story, or they actually would have been listening to it. Imagine yourself listening to this story, and it's all a very wonderful story about three people, Boaz and Ruth and Naomi. But it's just a story. It's a story about a little provincial family in a little tiny part of the world. And suddenly, you hear this genealogy, and this story takes on a whole different level of meaning. We hear that this little family is part of a much greater orchestration of God, that like Aaron preached about last week, this little baby, Obed, went on to have another baby who 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 went ended up being the great promised king of Israel, David himself. And so what you see when you hear this genealogy is that this little story is part of a massive story that God is writing on behalf of all of Israel and indeed behalf of the whole world. As Hubbard, the the great commentator of Ruth, wrote, suddenly this simple, clever story of two struggling widows takes on a startling new dimension. It becomes a bright, radiant thread woven into the fabric of Israel's larger national story. Isn't that amazing? And for us Christians, it becomes an even bigger story. A couple of weeks, we enter into the Advent season. And you may know this, that while Luke begins his Christmas story, the way that we like it, with the baby and the manger and the, and, the, and the singing angels and the donkeys and the elephants. I don't, there's no elephants, sorry. Uh, the, <laughs> the, all, the, all the animals, you know, that sort of thing. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> Matthew, on the other hand, how does Matthew begin his story? Do any of you Bible scholars know? He begins with this, a genealogy. I'm going to carefully and slowly read this entire genealogy. Ha <laughs> ha, just kidding. Um, no, I put it up here because I want you to see 
that Luke is very aware of the story that the narrator of Ruth began. He talks here about Boaz, the father of Obed and Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of David. And then what does he do? He continues the story generation by generation by generation by generation until he finally comes to the end. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Do you see what he's doing here? This little story about a little girl, Ruth, an immigrant nobody, is actually a part of this massive story about what God is doing to bring his hero king, his savior, Messiah, into the world who would enter into our brokenness, right all wrongs, die our death, rise up from the grave, reverse the curse of sin, destroy the power of the devil, and guarantee the ultimate triumph and victory of God over death, hell itself. Little Ruth, a part of the grand story of what God is doing to right all wrongs and redeem all things. And the story, no story, is bigger and better than that. Amen? And look, friends, when you read Ruth, you're being invited into the story. You are being invited to get out of your tiny little narrow story that you were living for yourself and your career and your family. And you are being invited into a story that is so much bigger in your life to know Jesus Christ, the Savior that God has sent, and to follow him in the world, to participate in what God is doing through Jesus and now through his church to redeem all things. You are being invited to be a part of this. Don't you want to be a part of it? How can you be? Well, let me just, before we close this series, reflect on a few themes that we have seen throughout this book and ways that we, you and I, can continue to participate in this story that we've studied. Okay, one way I think that we can participate is to be faithful in the ordinary. You know, I love this book, and I've said this to you in the past, that this book is full of ordinary people in ordinary life. There are no miracles, no angelic visions. There are no prophets or judges or kings or warriors. They're just ordinary people like you and me doing ordinary things, laboring, suffering, loving, grieving, having babies, building their families. And yet, it is through these ordinary people in the ordinary stuff of life acting with extraordinary faithfulness, extraordinary love. We see people making radical promises like Ruth to Naomi and keeping them. We see people like Boaz giving far beyond what is expected. We see Ruth taking radical risks and bearing the suffering of others. We see people doing ordinary life with extraordinary commitment, extraordinary sacrifice, and extraordinary love. And it is through these ordinary things, these faithful acts of love in everyday life that God accomplishes his extraordinary cosmic purposes for the world through ordinary stuff. And that is good news for ordinary people like you and me. You know, I don't know if you ever feel this way, but you may feel at times that your life is small. Do you ever feel that way? You know, I, I, I have finally admitted that I am solidly uh, in middle age. And, uh, and you know, it, it, what happens when you're middle age is that you wake up one day and you kind of look around at your life and you look at your life and you say, so this is it right? You spend all these years like anticipating what your life will be, imagining the spectacular nature of your life, and then one day you look up and you're there, and then you look down and it's just death you see down there. You know what I'm talking about? Am I making you feel good today, friends? Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever feel like your life is just too small? 
And, and, and you, look at, you know, look at other people's lives and, and you see these they, other people seemingly to do remarkable, spectacular things. And you, you're, on Instagram, you see people like heli skiing and doing all these crazy stuff you wish your life could be like. But, and, and then here you are trapped at a desk job, wiping kids' noses or worse, you know, living a, a, a boring life in the suburbs or being trapped in a nursing home or retirement facility. And you might just ask sometimes, is this it? But the invitation of this book is that God is not at work in the spectacular places of life, but he is at work through the faithfulness, the everyday faithfulness of ordinary people in ordinary things. Have you ever heard of the butterfly effect? The butterfly effect is a theory within the chaos theory of physics in which a very small change in initial conditions can create a significantly different outcome in some time down the future. So a scientist named Edward Lawrence discovered that the properties of a tornado could be influenced by minor perturbations such as the flapping of the wing of a butterfly many distant weeks earlier. That the tiniest changes in initial conditions can result in significantly different outcomes. And what we see here is that the tiny little faithful acts of Ruth resulted in the birth of the Messiah of all creation. That the flapping of the wings of a little Moabite girl in the Middle East resulted in a tornado of grace for creation. Do you see that? And just think what God could do through your faithful acts of love. Through you being faithful to your spouse, even in very dry seasons where love is not reciprocated. For you, me moving towards your melancholic teenager when you would much rather move away. Attending to the wounds of your aging parent when no gratitude or reciprocity is offered. Choosing to forgive your friend or your boss or your sibling when they hurt you again and again and again in the same way. Showing up for a suffering friend even when it means bearing the cost of your pain. Do you see the tiniest acts of faithfulness can result in the greatest tornadoes of grace, but you may never see it. Ruth never did. You may never see it. But resist the desire to be spectacular and embrace these tiny acts of hesed faithfulness within your ordinary life. That is the way that our God accomplishes his mighty works. You see that? That's one way you can be a part of this story. Be faithful in the ordinary. Another way you can be part of the story that we've seen is to welcome the so-called other. A huge theme of this book is hospitality. What happens when God's people welcome the person who looks like they don't belong? We talked in this book about the Old Testament concept of the quartet of the vulnerable. Do you remember who they are? The widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. And how Ruth very intentionally represents all four of those people. And this is a story about what happens when God's people open the doors wide and welcome the so-called other in. And is it not amazing (laughs) that not only is Ruth welcomed right into the heart of the family of Israel, but she is used by God to create the greatest dynasty of Israel and indeed become the grandmother of the Messiah himself. And Matthew is actually so impressed by this that going back to his genealogy, not only does he include her right here in his genealogy, but he also includes these other women. He includes Tamar, who is a Canaanite, Rahab, who is a Jerichite, Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, who is a Hittite. And if you didn't notice, if you can squint your eyes and read, nobody else in this genealogy is a woman. So not only does Matthew intentionally include people who are the wrong gender in that time, but he includes people who are the wrong race. 
And he says, it's like he's saying right here, right in the heart of the line of Jesus, God deliberately chooses the people that are most excluded or forgotten by society, and he wants to bring them right into the heart of his family tree. Ray Bakke said it like this, Jesus himself was an Asian-born baby of mixed-race background who in the first year of his life became an African refugee. Did you know that about your Lord? And you know that those who know this Lord and who are part of the family of Jesus will be like their Lord. They will be those who open their own hearts and their own homes to the person that the world most often forgets. So here's another way that we, as a church family, can be a part of this story. We can be people in your everyday life who are always on the lookout for the lost, the excluded, the vulnerable, the outsider. We could partner with people like Tian, who are coming alongside some of the most forgotten kids in our city. We can work to become a church where it's not just a, a welcoming place for white educated West Enders, but it's a place of welcome for people of all kinds of backgrounds and education levels and ethnicities, and they can feel at home. And we're working on that, friends. We're working on that. And we can work in our parishes and our parish groups to find the people in our neighborhoods who are on the outside and bring them in. And in our own families, we can reject the myth of the American dream that constrains our family to our own nuclear mom, dad, and 2.5 kids. And we can open the doors of our hearts and our homes to the stranger. And I love the movement that I see in our church right now of families that are raising their hands when it comes to the foster crisis, opening their homes to the kids who need a home. See, our society is more tribalized than ever before. We are divided and segregated and suspicions of the stranger and the outsider are higher than ever. And the people of God are called to be different. We're called to be those who, remember, are a sanctuary, a welcoming place, a place of shelter. And that's another way that we can be a part of this story. Do you see that, friends? That's how we can be a part of this story. And one last thing I'd like to say, another theme we see in this book is that we can be a part of the story in the way we suffer. And oh, you will suffer. It is inevitable. You know, I remember talking to my grandmother. This week was Veterans, this past week was Veterans Day, and my grandmother's first husband died as a soldier in World War II. And I remember speaking to her about that, and she told me that the pain was horrific, but it was in some ways tolerable because she knew that his death was for a much greater purpose. But most of our suffering does not carry such a purpose. Most of our everyday pain does not carry the weight of a plan that we see behind it. Some of us suffer in very big ways, battling cancer or chronic pain or facing the death of a spouse or a child. But all of us face degrees of low-level suffering every day, a difficult child, an aging parent, a job that you hate, a marriage that's cold, a relationship that's broken or the boredom of daily life. And so much of this suffering and everyday pain seems pointless. We can't see the plan. We don't see what God is up to. And a lot of times, I know this is true, y'all, because I talk to you, you just want to hit escape. And sometimes we can do that through alcohol or Netflix or overworking. Sometimes you just plain literally hit eject. You leave a marriage exit a relationship, quit a job, and although I will tell you there are sometimes good and biblical reasons for walking away, what Ruth shows us is this, sometimes you've got to stay in the story. Sometimes you've got to endure in suffering with hope because you can't possibly know what God is doing. You can't possibly see what he is up to. What we see in this book is that God is always at work. He's in the shadows, behind the scenes, quietly directing all things toward his good purposes, bringing about an ending that you in no way have the imagination to see from the current place that you are standing. Sometimes you've got to stay in the story. 
and you got to do it with hope. This is what Jerry Sitzer said, who lost his wife, his mother, and his daughter in a single car accident. This is what he wrote. God always disappoints us in our little stories because he always has a bigger story in mind. Most of the time, you live blind. But there's always more than meets the eye, and it is faith that keeps us in the story even when we cannot see the ending. And then he asked this, are you going to stay in the story even when it doesn't seem to make sense. Who could have imagined that Naomi, bitter Naomi, sad Naomi, broken Naomi, childless Naomi, husbandless Naomi, that that same Naomi would be now sitting with a boiled child in her lap, holding in her arms the grandfather of the Messiah. She stayed in the story. Sometimes she barely had enough faith to believe that God was good, but she stayed. She held firm. She endured in hope. She stayed. And the ultimate and beautiful message of this book is not about our love for each other, or even our love for God, but the ultimate story, the ultimate theme of this book is God's own Hesed love for us, the never stopping, promise keeping, always and forever love, that no matter what, God never, ever stops keeping his promises. When we are struggling, when we don't know where God is, God sees, God knows. God never abandons his promise. Even when the most horrific forces of evil come against us, God is there. God is in control. God is in the shadows. God has already beaten sin and death through his son, Jesus Christ. God is bringing history to its conclusion. And one day we know as this book of Ruth prophesies that a day of rejoicing is coming when God wins and love triumphs. And one day, I don't know when it'll be, and I can't promise you that your pain is ever going to make sense in this veil of tears. But one day, it might be next week, but for all of us, it most certainly will be in the new heavens and the new earth. We will sit up in our new resurrected bodies, and we will look in each other's faces, and we will look back on the lives we lived, and we will shake our heads, and we will say, what a story. What an amazing story our God has written. So friends, here's what I'm saying. You need a story. Would you stop living your tiny stories that will never help you make sense of your life. It won't help you to live for your kids or for your family or for your career or for your health or for some myth of success or comfort or arrival. Like a single puzzle piece lying on the table, you will never make sense of your life unless it's part of a bigger picture. Like a single branch lying in the ground, you'll never know your story unless you're grafted into the larger tree. And the invitation to you from this book and the good news of the gospel is, is that through no work of your own, but only through Jesus, you are invited in to a story that is bigger and better and true. You are invited to see Jesus, and in seeing him, you see the whole, and you know that finally the meaning of your life, that you are loved, you know who you are, beloved of the Father. You know that you have meaning and purpose despite the pain. You know you have a hope and a future, and you have a mission to be a part of his church and the renewal of all things. So friends, the good news today for us, the good news of this book, the good news of what we learned together this fall is that there is a story, it is true, and it is a story of love. And we get to be a part of it. So here's what I want you to do. The last thing I want to happen is that we spend 11 weeks together studying this book. And then we say, great job, great series. What's next? I want us to stay in this story just for a moment and to ask this question. What is one simple way that God is calling you to be a part of this story? 
There's a place in your bulletin where, near the sermon where you can write something down if you want, but I just want to, you to ask God, what is one simple way that God is calling you to be a part of this story? For some of you who maybe have been, been kind of observing the last 10 weeks, maybe you don't know Jesus, and this is an opportunity for you to become a follower of Jesus today. To say the main way that you can be a part of this story is by accepting God's invitation to receive the forgiveness of your sins and to be a child of the Father and to join in the story of his church. So maybe this is a moment when you need to do that. Maybe this is for you the moment where you realize that Jesus is living way out in Goochland in your life. He's living way out in the suburbs. And he's like a tiny part of your story, but he's not the central character. And you need to move Jesus downtown in these next few moments. You need to say, Jesus, I know that apart from you and being centered in my life, that my story doesn't make any sense. You gotta be the center of it. Maybe some of you, uh, you're realizing that there is a very difficult relationship in your life that God is calling you to redouble your commitment to. Maybe you are suffering and God, you wanna ask God to increase your hope and faith as you endure through suffering. Maybe there's a vulnerable person in your life or a little prompt of God that you realize now he is calling you to respond to him. So what is one simple way that God is calling you to be a part of this story? Let's do that as the band leads us in a song of reflection. Let me pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are writing a story of the world and it is a story of redeeming love. That in the end, you reclaim the earth and you right all wrongs and you set the world free of evil and death. And thank you that through Jesus, we can be a part of that story. We can be grafted into that family tree and I pray that you would help us to respond now as we consider what you're calling us to do. We pray in Jesus' name.